look who I have here, guys. <laughs> Nobody, on, it'll be watched on a replay, I guess. No one's here yet, but um, all right. Well, uh, nice to see you guys, I hope. Hi, guys. This is Daniel Wallace, my friend Daniel Wallace. How do you feel about waving at a, a camera, in, in an inanimate object, as if there are people over there? You have to get used to it in quarantine. It's true. Oh, it's true. Yeah. Are you used to it now? Is it just normal? No. <laughs> I agree. All right. We got a couple people watching. Hi, guys. Throw something in the chat real quick. Say hello to Daniel. And uh, we're going to get started here. You go by Dan, though, right? Usually, yeah. Usually Dan. That's good, because I usually go by Daniel. So That's perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, we're, we've got some tunes, some favorites of Daniel's. And we're going to start off with a Daryl Hall and John Oates tune, She's Gone. You want to say anything about this tune? Joe Farrell solo. <laughs> yes. We'll explain later. Okay, great. All right, here we go. Let me pop these things on here. All right. Okay, and let us know, guys. We're gonna. I'm still trying to get make sure the mix is mix is right. So let us know at the end of this how the mix sounds. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
look in the mirror I'm worn as a toothbrush hanging in the stand My face ain't looking any younger I can see love's taking a toll It's Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay. So let's say hello. Let's see what's going on. Uh, all right. Let's see. We've got Antoinette's here. My dad's here. And uh, my mom's here. Great. All right. Hi, guys. Uh, so if you... Looks like we are missing some few people because we switched over to the new page. So please tag anybody that you know is normally here um, to come join this live stream. Um, let's see. Antoinette asks, which one of you is Daryl Hall and which one is John Oates? I was singing the high harmony, so I guess I was Hall. There you but go. the funny thing is, when, when I saw Hall and Oates before the pandemic... Um, uh, you don't realize this until you see them, but Hall is about six, three and Oates is about five, two. Mm. Yeah. They're more than a foot apart from each other. So you see them on stage and you're like, wait, what? And the guy singing the high part is the tall one. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is there actually a correlation? I always assume that there is, but I actually don't know. There's a slight correlation, but it's not super strong. Okay. Uh, Interesting. It's, it's like it's like a really sl- uh, if, okay, can, it's a really <laughs> slight curve. So what what we're talking about is the taller you are, the deeper your voice is. But it's a very small small line line correlation. Yeah. Okay. Is it's, there actually a meaningful correlation? There is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You generally like the shorter and stouter you are, the higher you can go. Yeah. Because if you have okay. smaller vocal cords and you have bigger lung capacity, you can go higher. But that's not a, it doesn't work that way all the time. Right. Obviously, for a very skinny, tall guy like Daryl Oates. Uh, Daryl Hall, sorry. Right. <laughs> Daryl Oates. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Antoinette says, need more sax. Get it, Dan. <laughs> um. There will Great. be more. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So, uh, also, before we go on, I'm trying to make sure I improve on how I do mixes during these live streams. So, uh, I want to know um, how the mix is sounding, and if there's anything that's missing. Uh, sounds like uh, my dad is good with mixing. He says it sounds great, better balance with less guitar, uh, a little less. I don't know what you mean by that, Dad. A little less. I hope it's less. Uh, I guess you mean less guitar. I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, but anyway, please make sure you share this video with anybody uh, who normally is here for the live stream on my page. We're starting shifting this over to the new Ivy Stone Records thing. So uh, they should know, and uh, I want them to not miss out. Hey, Lori. Great. Lori is here. Hey, welcome, Lori. Um, okay. So we're going to carry on with the next tune here. Oh, you actually you chose all of these tunes. Uh, for a reason. Yes. And so I thought it'd be cool to hear from your perspective what it is as a saxophonist that you love about these tunes. So, so with, I with picked... Der- yeah, with yeah Sher- uh, sorry. I, uh, I, I picked a collection of songs that had some of my favorite jazz saxophone players. These are not rock saxophone players. They're not pop saxophone players. They're not studio guys who right. are amazing players in their own right. But that's not what any of these solos on these specific songs are. These are all jazz guys who found a way to play in pop music. Right. Um, this first saxophone player was 
uh, on the second second Hall and Oates album called Abandoned Luchinette. Um, along with playing saxophone, uh, he also played uh, English horn on a number of songs. Whoa! This is uh, Joe Farrell. He is absolutely one of my favorite saxophone players ever to live. Yeah. Um, he kind of took over for Coltrane in that band. Whoa! No. Yeah. Really? So, uh, so when. When Elvin Jones stopped playing with Coltrane, he formed a quartet, oh, sorry, a trio with Jimmy Garrison, which was the original Coltrane quartet bass player, right. and Joe Farrell, and he called it the Elvin Jones Trio. Whoa. Amazing records. I definitely highly recommend them. But the thing, the funny thing is about Joe Farrell is no one really knows him as a saxophone player. Wow. Um, he is uh, the flute player on Chick Corea's Spain so everyone knows his flute playing super, super well. Yeah. And the funny thing is his bachelor's degree was in flute. His master's degree was in oboe. <laughs> so he never got a degree in wow. saxophone. But uh, I, if you ever listen to any uh, of the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra, he is the first tenor player in the first like five or ten years. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, that's, that's a pretty intense range too. Most reed players don't also do double reed, do they? Very few do. Uh, it was more common back in the 60s than it is now. Okay. Um, generally, if you're a double reed player, you're a specialist nowadays. Right. That's what I... I mean, you mentioned English horn and oboe. And then the normal... Like, I expect a, like a, 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 real, a well-trained saxophonist to at least play most... Like, officially, they'll say, like, well, I I really am an alto and a alto player or whatever. But I'll play all of them, you know? And sometimes also add flute in there often. Uh but not double read or whatever. Uh, and then multiple double reads. Yeah. Whoa. It's, I, I feel like a lot of people that play oboe also play English horn. They can kind of double on that. Yeah. Um, it's like doubling on like alto versus soprano on saxophone. Like it's very common. Okay. Um, but that being said, it's, it's not too often that you get like a saxophone player that can do the double read stuff that well. Right. Um, yeah. Cool, man. Well, tell us about the the next tune we're going to do here, uh, Just the Way You Are, the Billy Joel tune. Tell us about this solo that's coming up, what they can be listening for. and So this solo was originally taken by Phil Woods, yeah, um, who is absolutely one of my favorite alto players of all time. He redefined the sound of the alto saxophone. I'm not going to play alto today. Yeah. But uh, it, uh, it's it's a classic solo. Um, I'm also not going to play his solo, which... Right. If you if you listen to the song enough times, you know it. It's it's very common right. in the in the ethos. Like if you're gonna play this live, you probably are gonna play Phil Woods' solo. Right. Um, I've yeah. taught it to lots of students. It's it's important to know. <laughs> right. That's cool. Uh, do, so when I if you're if you're it's inter- one of the things I wonder about is if you're trying to honor the intention of the song. Though in this case, it's kind of weird if this is a Billy Joel tune, right? Yeah. So you're, the context isn't jazz, but these are all jazz players. So like I like the fact that you're not going to play the actual solo from any of these, like a transcription, right. right? Like that's that's not what a jazz player does. Unless you're in high school and the band director doesn't know how to play jazz and they're like, can you just read this solo? Yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, gotta, that's interesting. Do, do the guys who like played these solos on these records when they're live, do they also then play the same solo? Did they have to shift out of that jazz mentality, you think? So that's a funny question. 
Um, so Phil Woods never went on tour with Billy Joel. Okay. Uh, but Billy Joel has used the same saxophone player for, I think like 40 or 50 years. Like it's been a long time. Like he was the same saxophone player that he used when he was in his twenties. Great player. I don't know his name. I'm sorry. I don't know his name (laughs) off the top of my head. I forget names all the time, but he is very, very excellent. He plays almost all the other major saxophone solos. He plays the, only the good die young solo. He plays the uh, New York state of mind solo. He plays all the, um, uh, uh, scenes from Italian restaurant solo. Right. Great, 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 great rock player. And when he plays live, I think he plays the Phil Woods solo, but on tenor. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I think, I think that's what happens. I think I've heard a video of him doing that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's an interesting thing to, to trick it, you know, to figure out how to, how to navigate. Cause like for me, I personally, I flop. Like I, I, the jazz attitude which I feel like Miles is kind of the ideal example of that. The fact that he went way beyond what jazz was even considered jazz and kept growing. That to me is like, that's the core spirit of what a jazz musician is actually supposed to be like, you know, not like, I mean, the tradition is cool too. Um, but it's interesting to like, try to figure out if you're combining the two, what, what takes precedence, what attitude, like, is it, Oh, everybody knows this solo. So I'm going to play this solo. Or is it, Oh, this the the you pulled somebody who had a completely different ethic into it, and that's you. You had them do their thing. Yeah, I guarantee. I guarantee you, if Phil Woods had gone on tour with Bill Billy Joel, he would have played a different solo every night. Yeah, that's just what would have happened. Right. But also, Phil Woods probably never would have done that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Makes sense. Cool. Well, let's do this. This is uh, this is just the way you are. Oh, Antoinette says uh, his real name is Joseph Carl Ferentello. Oh, the the sax player. I guess for, I guess so. She Bill says, Joel. "Okay, yeah. Daniel, I googled that one." Yeah, <laughs> that's, that 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 sounds right. Okay, yeah, he, he, Italian guy. That sounds about right. I don't know how to say that. Ferentello. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I, I, that that name sounds familiar. I think that's the I think that's the guy. Cool. All right. Well, here we go. Let's uh, just the way you are. Take the bad times 
I'll take you just the way you are Don't go trying Some new fashion Don't change the color of your hair Spoken passion Although I might not seem to care I don't want clever Conversation I never want to work that hard I just want someone That I can talk to
Cool. Nice, man. There we go. All right. All right. So let's check the comments real quick. Uh, let's hear. Antoinette says, I'm guessing there will be a Springsteen song. You'll have to wait to see and find out. <laughs> uh, okay. Lori says, sounds great, guys. Do you know any... Uh, do you all know Charlie... De- I don't know how you say it. Dechant? Deschamps? Oh, yeah. He is... Um the, the sax player that's been with Hall & Oates for like 30 or 40 years. He's oh, been cool. the same guy. Uh, he also plays a lot of the keyboard parts. Um, I got to see him when I saw the band. Uh, really? He was fantastic. Cool, He's man. He's like close to 80, but he can still play really well. Wow. That's awesome. That's, yes. That kind of, that seeing that happen is always really cool, you know? Yeah. It was yeah. a really nice thing to see, and he sounded great. I was really glad I got to see him. That's awesome. When did, when did you see these guys? It was like the February before quarantine started. Whoa. It was like February 2020. Man. So you just, like you barely squeezed it in. Yeah. 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 Well, we, um, I, had, I had plans to go see uh, Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers afterwards. And Whoa. It, it did not work out. Oh. And they're still not going on tour. They were supposed That's... to go on tour this fall and they're pushing it to next fall. Wow. I mean, but again, those guys are old. Yeah, like, totally. I mean, you got to be careful. You know? Yeah. You how how really old are they careful. now? I mean, they're not like really old. They're in their sixties, but it's yeah. within the threshold of high risk. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, and like, it's it's not just that they're high risk. It's that they're high risk around so many people, probably indoors. Right. It's just like all people breathing air, and it's like, yeah. Even if you got vaccinated, if you're old, it, it you know, yeah. it's still a risk. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, this next one, this is uh, kind of fun. This is just the two of us, Bill Withers. Uh, tell me, tell us about uh, the sax player on this tune. So, uh, originally, this was released on the Grover Washington Jr. album, Wine Light, uh, which is an album that I first got when I was 12 years old. Oh, man. Cool. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. Um, I don't... The, the funny thing is I don't like smooth jazz very much. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, I, a lot of those guys are really solid players like, um, Kirk Whalem, amazing player. I almost, right. almost called a Whitney Houston song just to play one of his solos. Wow. But then you're like, Oh, but I was like, no, 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 no. I've got other things. <laughs> anyway, Kirk Whalem is fantastic, but Kirk Willem would not be Kirk Willem without Grover Washington Jr. Grover Washington right. Jr. was the original smooth jazz saxophone player. Ah. Um, oh, Gerald Albright is another guy that's like smooth jazz, but like really, really good. Right. Um, like he was a studio guy beforehand. He played lead alto in a bunch of big bands. Like he was a big deal for a while. Wow. Um, but Grover Washington Jr. is absolutely mine and every other pop saxophone player's like idol. Wow. He did everything right. He was, he was amazing. He was amazing. And like the set, how do I explain this? Smooth jazz is just kind of copying badly what Grover did. (laughs) Even if the players are really, really good. Right. Like Grover invented all of that stuff. Like he was, with Marcus Miller on bass. Like Marcus Miller was right. the bass player on, on wine light. Wow. I think yeah. George Duke was the, was the keyboard Dude, player and they, Eric Gale was the guitarist. That's a lineup. I mean, it was, it was yeah. serious. Like people were really serious about it. This was like the seventies. 
Yeah. Anyway, so originally this song, Just the Two of Us, was on the album Wine Light, and it had like this, it was a seven minute song. It had this extended sax solo in it. Right. Because it would all, it featured Grover. Yeah. And he was amazing. They ended up cutting it down to like three minutes uh, for a Bill Withers album, and the three minute version is what topped the charts. Oh, yeah. Um, But Grover's playing is still in it. Right. Uh, They just cut out like the big extended solo in the middle. Right. But what you sent to me, though, has. It's definitely not three minutes. No, no, it's no. It's the original, I, right? I sent you the original from Wine Light. It's the right way to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. Smooth jazz, man, is like um, that's that's I've I've never looked too much into the history of it because what the stuff that I when, by the time I heard any smooth jazz, it was like it just felt very canned. Well, you know? by the time we were alive, it had already been really old. Yeah, you know, like by the time the '90s rolled around. It was right. like, oh, this is already old music. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, I saw Kirk Whalen once. Uh, I can't remember the who. I don't remember if he was the lead guy or not. I don't think he was. I'm sure he put on a great show. It was a. It was definitely a good. I've been to one smooth jazz concert. If uh, you're gonna go to one, that's the one to go to. <laughs> it was. I mean, it was good. Yeah. It was. I mean. Yeah, but it was like uh, I never. Yeah, but by the time I was running into it, it was always like people who were trying too hard were still doing it, you know. Or that I was that I was my own age. If anybody was playing at my my own age, it was like you're you're not the I don't know. It was, there was there's like good stuff, and then there's this whatever happened later that. You know. Yeah, well, it's the same thing kind of happened to funk to some degree or another. Like yeah. that funk was kind of over by the time we were born. Right. So it's like anyone's doing it is just trying to harken back to right. an era that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Which, you know, it's fine. It's totally fine. I play in funk bands all the time. They're a lot of fun. Right. But you got to know going in that you're playing something old. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also, yeah. And also getting the, uh, like really uh, the feel like there's, if you, I don't, most of the time, if I hear a funk band today, it's just there's some bands that still have that. You know, like, you know, Lettuce is a good funk band, um, but like most of the time, if I'm around, just if I'm just out and I hear a band, it's like, eh. So it's not. Do, uh, I played a, for a long time, for like five or six years, with a band called Joe Keys and the Late Bloomer Band. Do you know that? Do you know? Cool. These I don't know. Okay, no. so they're they're based up in Westminster, but they're kind of a Baltimore band. Yeah. Um, they they have a really great lineup now and they sound really good. Uh, I was on their first album. Cool. Um, and it turned out really well. Um, but what Joe always kind of used to say that, uh, it, it, it kind of put everything in perspective is kind of like a, if you're in the rhythm section, less is more. Mm-hmm. Like if you're the guitar player, like jam out on one note, mm-hmm. like, you, you and like really find it find that groove like don't yeah. don't try and like play well yeah. so the, the funny thing was yeah. the way that it kind of works in more like professional high level funk bands if they exist right um is that there's usually like a rhythm guitar player who's like very strictly playing like two or three note chords right and he's just playing the rhythm and he's just holding it down and then there is a lead guitar player who's doing more like jazz voicings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So both happen. Right. But you have to know when you're doing one and when you're doing the other. Yeah. 
the restraint that's required for really doing it right mm-hmm. it feels so rare <laughs> i don't know how it's actually how rare it actually is but i for me it's like i i i i almost wish i i've, I've thought about when i'm as i'm building my i'm building a, a diff, couple of like a corporate wedding thing i'm hoping to be able to pull from and one of the things that i would like to do as part of that is like do some interesting um uh like arrangements you can come up with interesting arrangements with people if you give them enough structure um but it's really hard to get people to play less <laughs> it it's is really hard yeah it's yeah. like I, I almost have to be like i want to be like uh hey man like you ha- you're allowed to play three notes every two bars <laughs> and then maybe they'll play 10 notes every two bars but at least you know it's like come on like it, it, there's so much funk that's just in being like you know like ah right that's so much better than you know yeah And and the funny thing is the first thing that you played in some ways is still kind of too much because the voicing was too lush. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, and like you can fill up more of the space time-wise, but you can't fill up more of the space harmonically. I think that's... Oh, that's true. That's, yeah. that's kind of where it goes. So right. a lot of these like really solid like rhythm guitar funk players, they're literally playing like one note lines. Right. Yeah. 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 Just like that. It's so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard to get it right. Yeah. And I won't. I've met like professionals that do it, and like they are rhythm guitar players. They never take a solo. Wow. Um. And they're amazing. Yeah. Uh. And I've met like maybe three or four other guitar players that really can do it right, but most most can't. Yeah. And they just they their ears aren't built for it. I, I mean, you can learn it, right? But There's, it's a whole attitude and stuff. Yeah. So anyway, cool. um, well, let's. Uh, with that being said, let's do just the two of us. Yeah, just the two of us are going to play, and also I'm going to try to sing the girl backup part on this. That's all I'm going to sing, and um, you know, keep your opinions to yourselves. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there we go. I see the crystal raindrops fall And the beauty of it all When the sun comes shining through To make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometimes I want to spend some time with you Just the two of us We can make it if we try Just the two of us (laughs) Just the two of us (laughs) Building castles in the sky Just the two of us 
You and I, you'll get it next time. I shall. <laughs> we look for love, no time for tears. Wasted water's all that is, and it don't make no flowers grow. Good things might come to those who wait, but not to those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. There we go. <laughs> Just the two of us. Building them castles in the sky. Just the two of us. You and I. fall on the window down the hall and it becomes the morning dew and darling when the morning comes and i see the morning sun i want to spend the one with you just the two of us we can make it if we try just the two of us just the two of us there we go <laughs> just the two of us building big castles way up high just the two of us you and i Thank <laughs> you.
That's how you do it, man. <laughs> okay, so let's check the comments real quick here. Hey, Donna's here. Welcome. Uh, very good. Thanks, Dad. Dad, my dad says he likes how how we sound. All right, we've got some more people here too. So great, good to see you guys. Say, throw something in the chat so I know that you're here. I know we have we're back up to about eight people hanging out, but I don't know who all is here. So throw something in the chat. Say hello. Welcome to the new Ivy Stone Records Facebook page, where uh, it's a it's a promotion. It's like a, a a platform for indie artists and musicians and a sync library. Uh, so Facebook page and also the new website is coming together. Uh, so I'll be announcing that next week. But Ivy Stone Records is coming along. And uh, if you haven't already, this is Daniel Wallace or Dan Wallace, a friend of mine who's a obviously a kick ass saxophone player we were talking about this earlier you prefer the term but i believe i like but yeah why is that yeah it's it's not quite as abrasive <laughs> it's it's so like when you say ass right like people have kind of negative reactions to it they're like ah oh, ass oh, oh. man mm-hmm. did you have to go there but 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 it's just very juvenile right it's like oh you said but yeah how old are you? That's right. <laughs> are, you are you six? Right. 
He yes. said, but, and uh, that's, that's right. how I want people to think of me. I want people to think of me as, as a juvenile. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's exa- I don't want people I mean, to think of me as a responsible adult at all. I want right. everyone to think of me as a guy who says, but. Right. Well, I mean, that's what most musicians are anyway, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. We we're all, all, we're all stunted. <laughs> I mean, obviously not you. You're very tall. Right. I, that's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, yes. It, it, well, yeah. Yeah musicians man we are a weird breed we uh i don't know what there's like uh is there are there any commonalities you notice about like uh about where where that odd where the oddness of being a musician comes from i think your brain has to work a certain way yeah i think you have to find patterns where other people don't yeah and you have to like use them almost immediately interesting like yeah i have a compulsion to use them you mean not exactly not compulsion. You just like, have to have this ability to see patterns and use them in a like split second right. thing. A lot of there are a lot of other people that use a lot of patterns. I mean, obviously computer programmers probably use a lot of patterns. Right. Yeah. Uh architects probably use a lot of patterns, but it's much slower. Right. Like in terms of you think about it and then you do it. But we have to think about it and do it at the same time. And I think right. that kind of thinking makes us very odd yeah like that process of finding patterns and doing them immediately with like no thought right that makes us very odd yeah and and i like that actually that's that's probably the best answer i've got to that question (laughs) that's good yeah i mean the same thing literally just happened you asked me a question i had no idea you were going to ask me right i just had to pull something out of my butt (laughs) but see Right. Okay, so do you think comics have a similar way of thinking? No. No. Comics, uh, every comic I know is very meticulous. Incredibly meticulous. Really? Every comic that I know that goes on stage, I mean, there are nights, I mean, obviously, like, there's audience banter and there's stuff like that. You have to kind of have that improvisational feel. Right. But everything that's a joke they will have worked on that for many, many, many hours. Right. There was a guy, uh, his name is Chaz Elsner. He's still a comedian. He's amazing. Uh, I met him when he was on the cruise ship. He actually came out of clown college. He worked for uh, Barnum and Bailey. Wow. He was a clown for Barnum and Bailey. Um, and he, he, uh, he had a, a bunch of physical comedy, but I remember... When he was on the cruise ship, he never used to party with us. I mean, he used to hang out. Like, he used to come and hang out and, like, talk. And he was a very, very nice guy. But, like, he never used to drink. What he used to do is he he used to wake up at a specific time every day. Usually it was 10 o'clock. He used to go get breakfast. He used to come back. And he used to sit with his notebook and write jokes for three hours. That's what he did. Whoa. He would sit there and write and write until he had a joke. Wow. And the funny, the, the best part, the, the absolute best part is that me and the rest of the crew were the test audience. So he used to just test out all of his new material with us oh, and see if we laughed. That's awesome. But like, that's, that's how comedians that I know work. They are very meticulous. Yeah. And they like plan everything out very far in advance. It's interesting. Cause I, the reason I was initially thinking of the, the connection is just because like, the sense of humor where you, you tied uh, yourself and butt into the conversation about your, uh, and like a good comedian would have that like easily as well. It's both. 
Right. It's like you have to interact with the audience, but you have to have written material. Right. Well, I'm saying like the, the I'm thinking the thing that the, the space from which they're creating, you know, is sometimes it it appears almost improvisational. It depends on the person, I think, too. Like some people sit and write, but then there's also people who like almost never write anything down. I'm I'm pretty sure Dave Chappelle never writes anything down. Oh, I disagree. I disagree you entirely. Think? Yeah, I, I think he's okay. again very meticulous. I know he's got he's figured out what he wants to say. He clearly hasn't like he's workshopped it. But I've seen also stuff where he's like trying things in the moment and he's go for three or four hours and yeah but before that before before he tries things yeah. he will have written it for like seven hours wow like really? the wording is very meticulous wow. the whole okay. thing about workshopping something is it's already written it's just it's testing what the right word order is yeah for an audience right and the weird thing is the audience is never the same every night right the, the the nice thing that we have as musicians is most of the audience doesn't understand what we're doing. Right. Like, they, they know if it sounds good or not. No, no, no. They, they, they know true. if it sounds good or not. Right. Like, exactly. they know. They're like, I like this or I don't. Right. Like, there there's nothing to get. Right. You don't need to get anything. But, like, they don't know. Yeah. So we can kind of try stuff in the moment more. Uh-huh. And if they don't like it, we get immediate feedback and we don't do it. Right. Um, with comedians, it's, it's much more meticulous, huh? At least the ones that I know, but I've known some pretty high level professionals and they've all said that. Wow. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's cool. I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't lived with them for years. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool, dude. All right. Well, let's do uh, this next tune. Uh, this, you sent two versions, which, uh, I wasn't cool enough to learn the, the particularly hip Brecker version of this. But uh, this is James Taylor tune, Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight. So so on the original James Taylor recording in 78? Yeah. Is it 78? Uh-huh. I, think it's I don't remember. Okay, well, I think it's late 70s. Yeah, um, sounds like it. Michael Brecker was the saxophone soloist on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So it's not like, oh, Brecker just did it. Like, he was the saxophone player on the original recording. Right. Um, he used to do that all the time. He just, He used to go in and just record solos on people's records sometimes three or four or five a day yeah he just he lived in in manhattan so i used to just go down to the recording studio lay down a couple solos wow it's it's why no one exactly knows what michael brecker's true discography is oh because a lot of it he was never credited for really yeah he was just like a random saxophone solo um it was that loose in the studios and everything yeah yeah, wow. I mean, he got paid for it, but he wasn't always credited. So right now we think that Michael Brecker was on upwards of 10,000 recordings. No. I mean, there was a, there were like five, six years where he would go into the studio literally every day and record on three or four different albums. Wow. So we think that's a 10,000 is a 10,000 is a uh, it's a conservative estimate, though. That's insane. Yeah, like it could be. I don't think I know anybody else who's played on that. No, no. I mean, they're they're drummers. There's got to be some. Yeah. No, no saxophone player. Which wow. Which is funny because if if I I know people who were like, oh, I've never heard of Michael Brecker. I'm like, you've heard him. Yeah. I guarantee you've heard him. If you've listened to any music from the 70s or 80s, you've heard him. Right. He was the sax player on Graceland. Right. Um. He was the sax player on uh. 
he was like the secondary sax player on um, Born to Run. Whoa. Like, if it wasn't Clarence Clemens, it was Michael Brecker. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, he's, he's, I mean, out of all of these saxophone players, he was the one that kind of codified what a sax player, what a jazz saxophone player should do on a pop album or a rock album. Yeah. Um, I mean, but also beyond that, he was just the guy that codified what a saxophone player should do. Right. Period. Like, yeah, he, I mean, he was, he's like, uh, he's very recognizable too. When he was at least his own, I don't know, I don't know, 10,000 recordings, how he comes across, but no, my experience I, always is when I hear, you can tell right away. Every, every time I've heard a recording, I know it's him. Yeah. No matter what context he's in. No matter who he's playing with, I know it's Michael Brecker. I'm like, oh, that's Brecker, yeah. obviously. And yeah. like, he could play three notes. There are literally solos <laughs> of him playing three notes, and I know it's him. Is it the tone? What What is it about his playing? You it's think? a few different things. So the tone is part of it, but like, he kind of has a Coltrane tone, and there were a bunch of people that did that, especially in the 70s and 80s. Right. Um, but it's... Um, it's the way he moved from note to note. Right. Like that was totally his. And people have tried to cop it from him. People have tried to, I've tried to do it. And like yeah. no one has been successful. There's, I, I don't know. I've never sat down and tried to transcribe any Brecker stuff, but so it's I'm hard. curious to know. Yeah, I'm sure. It's really hard. <laughs> but what, part of one of the things that I, it comes across to me as, is there's a kind of, there's definitely, um, there's some intense. There's a certain harmonic structure he commonly it feels like he has, and and he uses a lot of patterns. That, they're a lot longer than just an individual phrase to throw around. It's like here's a. It's like a, having taking a voicing of a chord and creating a pattern out of you know a pattern out of that and exploring it and shifting it through a, a chord set of chord changes. Is my oh absolutely something he, like that. I've I've heard him do that. Um, but the funny thing about Brecker is he's not what I would consider a pattern player, okay. even though that is what he's doing. He's hearing each and every individual note before he plays it. Wow. That's pretty yeah, intense. Like he's, he, uh, I don't think he ever did anything by accident. Wow. I don't think, I mean, from the time he was probably like 26, because yeah. I've heard some recordings of him when he was like 23, 24 and he was, he was still very good, but he wasn't what he became. Right. By the time he was about 26, 27, when he was doing the Brecker Brothers stuff, by that point, I don't think he made a mistake ever again. Wow. That's yeah. pretty intense to say. Except huh. for the very last recording he ever made, which where he famously made a mistake. Really? Yeah. Um, it's funny. He actually won the Grammy for that mistake. No. <laughs> what, what tune was that? So uh, right before he died in 2007, he recorded a big band album with his brother randy brecker and they went through like a bu they went through like big band arrangements of a bunch of the old brecker brothers tunes from the 70s wow um and on the record the first song he plays is some skunk funk which is the tune that they were most famous for and uh, he goes to play his solo and the first thing he does is he like does this like nuts like it was either a diminished or an augmented line just like 30 second notes like all the way up and yeah. he was like he like did this 30 second note line and it was like really really like perfect and then he tried to scoop up to a high altissimo b and he missed it no and the funny thing is you would never know on the record yeah but 
if you watch the video of him doing it live because it was a live performance. <laughs> if you watch the video of him doing it live, he takes the he takes the saxophone out of his mouth. He's like, shit, and it, like away from the mic. He's like, shit, and then he puts. And then the funny oh. thing is, he puts it back in his mouth. He does the exact same thirty second note line, note for note, and then hits the high B. Like correcting himself, it was hilarious. Whoa. That solo on some skunk funk was his final Grammy. Wow, he won it posthumously. Unbelievable. And he was it cancer? What was it? It took him. Uh, yeah. Um, lymphoma. Uh, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Um, what's what's the one with the bone marrow? Oh, um, leukemia? No, not leukemia. It's, yeah, um, leukemia. Yeah, leukemia. Yeah, it was like a very rare version of leukemia. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah. He's, uh, he's 57 years old. Gosh. Wait, 57 or 59? I can't remember. Anyway, late 50s. Yeah. <sighs> Bummer. <laughs> I don't. I never know what to say to, like, it just sucks. Nothing Nothing is, there's no way to, like. No, it's You sucks. lose something like that, and they're like, there's, what do you say to that, you know? I uh, I, I will say two things to that. Yeah. Um, uh, number one. Uh, his final album is beautiful. If you've never listened to Pilgrimage, yeah, it's it's perfect in every way. Wow. Not just his playing; everyone's playing. Yeah, is perfect. The compositions are perfect. It's it's a beautiful work of art. Wow! And like he supposedly, when he was in the studio, he had a really hard time standing up to play. Whoa! And you would never know by listening to it. You'd never know. Not in a million years would you ever guess that. Wow. Um, so he worked so hard on that album and it came out perfectly. Um, so that's one thing. Number two, I got to see him play six months before he died. What? Yeah. He was at, uh, he was at Carnegie hall for Herbie Hancock's 60th birthday party. Oh my God. And I went, he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't billed. And he just showed up. Yeah. He just like, well, it was, it was a surprise. Cause like he hadn't played for a year cause he'd been sick. Yeah. And I don't think he ever played in America again. Wow. He may have, but I, I don't think he did. Because I think his last tour was in Europe. Uh, and it was like the tour that he was getting ready for his final album with. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he just... Um, Herbie Hancock was like, we're about to play this song called One Finger Snap, but we can't play it by ourselves. We need some help. And this real tall, very skinny, bald, white guy with glasses comes out with a tenor saxophone. And we're just like, it took everyone a couple seconds. Like, we're like, who, who is that? And then we're like, oh my God, it's Michael Brecker. Wow. Yeah. It was, wow. it was a great moment. And he <laughs> took like 30 choruses on one finger snap. It's a very fast tune. So 30 choruses is like, you know, five minutes, but right. it was amazing. He was everything I hoped he would be. He didn't seem sick at all. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to play as well as Brecker on this song. <laughs> but you're going to sing and play, and it's going to be beautiful. You even have a little bit. There's a little James Taylor tinge to your voice, too, on this. I think it's kind of fun. So We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> or not. I mean, you know. You know. Uh, just going to go. Uh, all right, here we go. One can only hope. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right, man. Let's see. All right. So this is Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight. 
Do me wrong, do me right Tell me lies but hold me tight Save your goodbyes for the morning light But don't let me be lonely tonight Say goodbye and say hello Sure is good to see you, but it's time to go Don't say yes, but please don't say no I don't want to be lonely tonight Go away then, damn you Go on and do as you please, yeah You ain't gonna see me Getting down on my knees I'm undecided And your heart's been divided I've been turning my world Upside down Do me wrong Do me right right now Go on and tell me lies But hold me tight Save your goodbyes for the morning light, morning light But don't let me be lonely tonight I don't want to be lonely tonight No, no, I don't want to be lonely tonight Nice, man. Very nice. Uh, all right. Cool. Let's check in with everybody. Uh, hey, Kimberly. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, my dad says, that's a great song. I agree. I also agree. <laughs> when was the first time you heard this song? It was... Um, my, my friend was really trying to get me to get into James Taylor, and he gave me this song. He's like... Oh, there's a Brecker solo on it. I'm like, oh, Brecker. 
your friend is smart. Yeah. And That's I was great. like, okay, he sounds good too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, um, I was not all that impressed by James Taylor for a long time, just cause yeah. like he wasn't Stevie wonder. He wasn't, right. you know, uh, who else? He wasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, who's the guy from queen. Oh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, he wasn't Freddie Mercury. Right, I he was doesn't like, have fireworks and yeah, like all that. those yeah. guys are are they're all py- it's all pyrotechnics and it's all like yeah. really exciting. Right, and that's not what James Taylor does. Right, yeah, he's um, like the opposite of that. But the funny thing is, he creates excitement in his own way. He does, like within the quiet, like with within the quiet structure of what he does, it is it is still very exciting, yeah. and like he's soulful in his own way too. Right. Even though like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's uh, the first time I started really getting to James Taylor was, I just needed songs cause I started playing bar gigs. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have stuff. They're and interesting songs to play at bars. I have to imagine. They actually it often goes over well because okay. the main thing is like, um, it, you know, you choose different songs, but, there's a lot of times where, like, you know, a beer and an acoustic guitar and a singer is a nice combination. It can be a little reflective. You have to – it depends on the context. Um, but uh, for me, it was um, Carolina in my mind. Mm. That was the song that – I mean, there was lots of stuff that was great. But that one was like, oh, this is – this basically is about dissociation. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. when, when – um, and I've definitely had some intense – experiences in my life where like that was uh you know you just you get to a point where that's that's part of how you cope is you disappear somewhere else and that was uh that song is particularly striking the way that it's it's written you know and i was like oh man i there were a couple people that i never thought uh i was gonna learn their stuff you know, or take seriously just because they were a big name, and I was like a guitarist and a serious musician. Oh you know? man, yeah. And um, so, like, but like, I'll play "Free Fallen." Like the, you know, everybody plays "Free Fallen," the Tom sure. Petty tune, but it's a great tune. And uh, so, like, there are songs now where I, I, uh, I don't know, my my snobby, opinionated younger self is is getting worn down yeah uh that's that's been happening to me for a long time you wouldn't have yeah. wanted to meet me when i was 15 <laughs> yeah we did meet each other when i was about 21 22 yeah yeah that's right one random very very low paying jazz gig <laughs> in the middle of the, in the inner harbor in baltimore that's right yep. yes so yeah man you were you were good back then too so um let's uh, there there was oh there was something it was something about oh right james taylor yes um the thing that always really impressed me beyond his songwriting was that he interpreted songs better than any other pop musician oh cuz yeah. if you think about it like how sweet it is is a marvin gay song and right. marvin gay's amazing right but like what version does everyone know what version does everyone play right. the james taylor version uh I've heard him sing jazz standards and sing him better than any jazz singer. Wow. Like, yeah. you know, the way you look tonight, I've never heard anyone sing the way you look tonight better than him. Wow. Like, and, um, and, uh, 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 you've got a friend. 
That's right. a Carol Carol King song. Carol right. King's amazing, and she's a great songwriter. Right. She stole that from him, actually. Or sorry, he stole he, that he, from her. But like he recorded that. I learned supposedly before she had put it out. She let him yeah. put it out first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah, the story. but his version is is the quintessential version. It is, even though hers is great too. Yeah, it's like he makes the quintessential version of things that he didn't even write. Yeah, it's true. So there's something to that. There's something that we can all learn from that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, quintessential people, this is like the, the quintessential songwriter is the next guy we're doing. Some Leonard Cohen. Uh, yep. But this is not the one everyone. I don't know how many people know this song. There's a, this is a really cool version you send along with Sonny Rollins as the saxophonist. So uh, I I found a lot of music through this um, this TV show from the 1980s, from the late 1980s, that was hosted by David Sanborn. Really? Yeah, it was I on NBC like what? late night. It was I think it was on at like midnight or 12:30. Yeah, and it was like an hour. And it was just, he would introduce new music to people late night. That's all it was. It was just That's all music. it was. It was just like he would interview the musicians and it was, and he would like play with them. And that's it, awesome. Like there's some great stuff from night music. Wow. And that's what this was. So it ended up that uh, Leonard Cohen and Sonny Rollins were the two guests for the evening. Oh, cool. And the last song that they played was this song we're about to play. Um, they weren't planning on playing together. Really? So yeah. there was like no rehearsal? There was no rehearsal. It was just like, I mean, obviously like Leonard Cohen knew who Sonny Rollins was. Sonny Rollins yeah. probably didn't know who he was because <laughs> Sonny Rollins famously stopped listening to music after Coltrane died. No, really? Yeah. Hmm? I did and, not know that. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he kind of, I don't, I don't know if he said this per se, but he, yeah. he kind of, I, th- I think he may have said at some point, there's no reason for me to listen anymore because no one's going to be as great as Coltrane. Wow. I mean, Coltrane is like, he is literally spurred, like, you know, there's like a religion that like treats him literally as God. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I want to go to the African Orthodox church of St. John Coltrane. It is. Uh, I have to make the pilgrimage. Right. It's in San Francisco. Oh God, man. Does that, do you feel like, like part of me understands and wants to go because to that sort of thing because uh, I under, I know how important John Coltrane was, and part of me is like very unnerved and freaked out by that. Don't I feel like I'm not even going to experience what? Coltrane so I know about. people that have gone, okay, and they've tell me it's it's a beautiful experience. Wow, they they take it very seriously, but they're not like zealots. They're just people that are like this is beautiful music. This was a beautiful person. Let's just celebrate God through this beautiful music and this beautiful person. Wow. That's great. And they don't sit there and try to say he was perfect. I mean, they say he was a saint, right? But like, you know, he got divorced. He did drugs and they, they don't, they don't sit there and they try to say that he didn't do that, but he was, they still say that God was speaking through him, which, you know, I can go back and forth about it, but yeah supposedly they take that very seriously and they take they perform all of his music as part of the sermon right and they take the playing of the music very seriously too right and uh the other thing is supposedly if you go and you bring a saxophone you're allowed to play with them as long as you know as long as you know it as long as you know that as long as you know the the as long as you know the tunes yeah you're allowed to play with them wow 
because you know they they want to do it they want to show how great coltrane was the funny thing about coltrane and sonny rollins was that they both had so much respect for each other yeah um because you know rollins was always like i can never do what he does but coltrane used to say the same thing about rollins right coltrane used to be like i i can't do what he does (laughs) and it's 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 funny because as a tenor saxophone player like you kind of have to choose are you the sonny rollins school or are you the john coltrane school wow like how you approach the how they approach the music was so different from one another yeah i mean if you're going to be a serious saxophone player you have to do both you have to understand both ways of doing it but you usually fall into one or the other and um the main reason i chose sonny rollins tonight is because i fall into his camp right I feel like he was the one who I wanted to follow. I love Coltrane's playing, obviously. Like, I've transcribed a ton of Coltrane. Like, I, right. I know him very well. Yeah. I know how he thought. I know how he performed. I, I know as much as I can at this point. Right. Um, but it's not... I if, I if it was a choice between how Coltrane thought of things and how Sonny thought of things, I would choose Sonny Rollins every time for especially for anybody watching or who is for musicians too but for anybody who's trying to understand the distinction or what, what what's how would you what's the basic way that you would describe the difference in their thinking Coltrane would Coltrane was incredibly intellectual everything yeah. he did was very uh, methodical. I mean, he still improvised. It's it's not like what I was talking about with the comedians before, where he like wrote out everything before he played it. It's not right. that. It's that how he learned things and how he processed them was very methodical. Right. He would sit there and he would like write out a pattern and he would learn in twelve keys and he would, you know, um, and he would use it and then he would um, and then he would like integrate it into a couple other things. And then he would like read theory books. That's how he came up with the whole uh, um, giant steps mentality is because he would just read theory books voraciously. Hmm. And certainly Sonny Rollins understood a lot of that stuff, but he was much more of a, he, he did things more by intuition. Yeah. He just like heard it and then he did it. Yeah. And, and it was like, Okay, keep going. Sorry. No, I mean that's that's kind of it. it yeah. It's like the I'm going to process this and I'm going to like absorb it and dissolve it and then recreate it versus I am going to intuit this. Yeah. And that's kind of the two schools to some degree. Yeah. I mean, there are like more specific saxophony like kinds of things, but Right. But that's the kind of the big picture. Yeah, big picture. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. That makes sense. And the funny thing is this. Um, everyone that I know that's met Sonny Rollins, they always, he always asks them the same thing. Um, he asks them if you know the lyrics to the song you're playing. Interesting. And if you know the lyrics to the verse. Like, yeah. You know how a lot of old jazz standards had like a verse beforehand? Right. He's like, oh, do you know the verse to Love for Sale? Do you know the lyrics? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he would always ask everybody. That's good. So one of the, my favorite way to learn songs now is with the only the lyrics. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder. I don't know if it's for the same reason. What 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 did he? What was it that he was after with that question? Well, he was trying to interpret like a singer, right? And I think that's the other big difference between him and Coltrane. I, I'm sure Coltrane knew the lyrics to a lot of them, but like he wasn't singing the lyrics in his head while he was playing. Not all yeah. the time, at least. Possibly when he was playing ballads. Yeah. But not when he was playing like, but not for me with Coltrane changes. Right. Like he wasn't doing that. Yeah. Um, but Rollins would every single time. I would imagine that even to songs that don't have lyrics, he would make them up in his head. Yeah. I think I have heard of that kind of people doing that, but I, I, I don't think I knew who I don't, it doesn't sound like a new idea, but I can't point to anybody who's done that. So that's Sonny Rollins would do that. You think I, I would put money on it. No, wow. I would, I would definitely put money on it. Yeah. There's um, definitely something to that. Like, uh, it's been hugely uh, helpful to me to spend hours p- going out and singing, learning tunes and playing on my own and accompanying myself. Because uh, the whole structure of how I think, because now I have to be in the lyric and the melody all the time. Sure. Is like, is really different. It's very, very valuable. It re- like puts everything else I play into perspective. And like anything that I would have played before just because it was cool, like just goes out the window. Because yeah. the the song, I'm so into the the moment with whatever the song is, it just feels off putting to me to do anything other than what really is serving it. And I'm I'm the reason I can tell is because I'm being forced in the singer role, you know, to really sit with that. Yeah. Um and uh it's funny because I spent a long time avoiding that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I it's it's funny because when I started playing tenor, I was like transcribing a lot of Sonny Rollins and I was like really thinking about things through the Sonny Rollins school, as we call it. Right. And then when I got to college, I was like, no, I'm going to be a Coltrane player. Like, I'm going to like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to like, you know, sit there and, you know, in I'm going to sit there and like absorb everything through, you know, just sheer force of will. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely had. You were. I think you probably you went deeper than I did, but that that attitude, I definitely that was me. I think every too. every yeah. musician has to go through it at some point if you're going to be serious. Yeah, but eventually I I backed away from that and I was like, okay, I'm not that guy. Right. Like there are, there are people that do it so well. Yeah. Like really, really, really well. I mean, Eric Alexander is the perfect example. Oh, cool. Yeah. I Eric, know. I know of him. I don't know. I don't think. Oh, I know he's his incredible. Stuff. He's one of the absolute best saxophone players on the planet. Cool. But he is so like, he practiced really hard. He absorbed all the right things and then he does the right things. Right. Sound really, 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 really good. Yeah. 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 It's cool. And that, that attitude shift that follows what my experience, my own life has been like, I had the intense attempt to be very uh, intellectual and organized and thorough. And now most of my focus is not there. Yeah. It's like soaking in the new, hearing things and soaking in new stuff, but I'm trying to not be that intellectual. I'm trying to be open and I'm not trying to force anything, but it's like a meditative, non-forcing way. Like literally, actually, the, the best description of it is is the, the Taoist notion of Wu Wei, which is the way of not forcing. Oh, huh. And uh, there's a interesting. It feels to me like there's a kind of overlap between that and having a, a 
good like a, being in a state of mindfulness. So, but yeah, that's that's that's. I wonder it was. It, we could talk about this for too long and never play the next song. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't. I, if your question is, did Sonny Rollins know about any of that stuff? I, I almost guarantee you he did. Sh- I yeah. I was. I I guarantee you, Sonny Rollins like read a lot of that Eastern philosophy, as did Coltrane. Yeah. Uh, Coltrane, I know he did because a lot of his later life music was based on that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure Sonny Rollins knew it too. Right. He was. I'm sure he read all kinds of philosophy books. It wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. If he didn't before, he probably is now. Cool. <laughs> At age 88. <laughs> nice. So, so sp- since we're going to do some some Sonny Rollins inspired, or the Sonny Rollins version, I guess, of this Leonard Cohen tune, "Who yeah. by Fire." Uh, do you know the lyrics? <laughs> I've been listening to it a bunch. I probably do. Well, I was just curious if is there anything you want uh, people to think about, like if they're imagining being, you know, like I, I think if you have an idea of what the song is about and everything, you can, you know, like, how you play will mean more to them, you know. So like, I wish little... I was smart enough to interpret these lyrics. I'm just not. They they seem they seem like random words to me. Right. Cool. Well, this is Who by Fire.
by barbiturate Who in these realms of love Who by something blunt And who by avalanche Who by powder Who for his greed And who for his hunger And who shall I say Is calling
Sweet. Nice, man. <laughs> that was good. All right. Uh, oh. I got to get smoother with these transitions, these audio transitions. All right. Let's check in with everybody here real quick. Um, oh. Anyway, but that was very nice, man. Good solo on that, too. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. My dad, a little while ago, I'm not sure what the connection is, uh, but he says, many of these songs reflect feelings of life experience. As time goes on, they mean more and more and seem to, res or seem to res resonate more. Pathos. True. I agree, Dad. Uh, thanks, Kimberly. Kimberly says, nicely done, guys. All right. Uh, so we've got one more tune. This is like, uh, energy-wise, I don't think we can go farther away from where we just were, which is great. But this is by the great Ray Charles. Tell us about, uh, tell everybody about this tune in particular and the, the saxophone connection on this one for you. Yeah. So, um, this saxophone player is, uh, David Fathead Newman. <laughs> um, the name Fathead, I think I remember this right. Came from a teacher of his cause he, cause he like spouted off some like really random fact as a child. And he's like, what are you? Some kind of fathead? Like he has, I've got a big brain. And oh, nice. It, okay. It, so it, it was actually kind of, kind of like a... It was kind, kind of, of a compliment. Kind of a compliment. But like okay. a weird compliment. Right. Like a a backwards in an upward direction, backhanded in an upward direction compliment. Yeah, that was yeah. that's kind of the deal. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, David Fathead Newman uh, was uh, Ray Charles' saxophone player all through the 50s and 60s. Um, eventually Ray worked with other bands for various reasons, but all yeah. of the classic Ray Charles stuff, Newman was the, was the saxophone soloist, cool. which was a big deal because, um, more than likely a lot of tenor players studied him. Um, I mean, Coltrane probably even did. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if cool. you think about, if you think about a lot of these songs were done in, 55 56 57 Coltrane played a lot of those songs on his R&B gigs. Yeah. So um uh uh David Newman uh was also known as like a Texas tenor player. So oh, he was I don't know what that means. he was he yeah. was from Texas and um he had this like really specific Texas sound that a lot of other players had. Uh Gene Amons is the like main guy who was the Texas tenor. Okay. Cool. Um, but there were like four other guys. Um, but yeah, he was, um, he was one of those guys that he could have had a life kind of in obscurity as a really, really, really solid jazz player, but he decided to do the commercial thing and play with Ray Charles, which is by no means a step down because right. playing with Ray Charles sounds great. Yeah. Um, and but he was also like Ray Charles main collaborator 
in terms of oh. I'm writing the song so you can take a solo over it. Wow. That's um, cool. Yeah. That that attitude I think also I just want to say is really cool to have um like I I think that having respect for all the types of music and what it takes to pull it off is really cool. You know, like there's some guys who definitely like can't handle anything that becomes popular is like you look down on. And I know that I've, I've been there. So have I, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like writing something that's really simple and that like hits that strongly. So everybody can, you know, you could like, you could have no band. Everybody just starts singing because it feels so good. Oh yeah. That's, that's some genius level stuff to really actually do that well, you know? And the funny thing about Newman is he was no slouch. Uh, so do you know the, the album, uh, the genius of Ray Charles? I don't. Okay. So it's, it's, um, it was Ray Charles playing a bunch of songs with a big band, like, you know, 12 horns, full rhythm section, you know, like a real big band. Most of the members of the big band were members of the Count Basie orchestra. Um, and all the arrangements were written by Quincy Jones. Wow. Yeah. It's from like 60 something. It was very early Quincy. I know that. Um, and the funny thing is like Frank Foster was there. Frank Foster was like the other tenor player. Oh, cool. And like they switched off on solos and they both sounded great. Yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure Newman was sitting there being like, but you're Frank Foster. And he's like, yeah, but you're Ray Charles's tenor player. <laughs> I, I, who, who tell everybody about Frank Foster. Uh, Frank Foster is, he was, um, he, he was probably the longest stay of any first tenor player in Count Basie's band. Oh, okay. Um, through most of the fifties and sixties, maybe even into the seventies. He was also for a while, his chief arranger. Cool. So almost all of the famous Count Basie stuff yeah. that that's around, almost all of it was done by him. Wow. I mean, not cool. not like the not the stuff that was done by Quincy, not the stuff that was done by Nestico, but anything that wasn't the two of them, it was Frank Foster. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Well, this is a this is a fun upbeat tune to uh, to end on. I have a lot of fun doing this. Yeah. I have a hard time not playing too fast on this song but this <laughs> we'll be fine don't worry about it all right cool man well this is hallelujah i love her so ray charles are you imitating uh the man himself on this i'm i can't do a very good impression <laughs> i mean i i've transcribed the solo i know it but i i can't do what he does it's all good all right here we go Ah, let's try that again. Ah, there we go. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Coffee in my favorite cup. That's right. I guess I know. Hallelujah, I love her so. When I'm in trouble and I have no friends, I know she'll go with me until the end. 
Everybody asked me how I know I smiled at them and said she told me so That's why I know, yes I know Hallelujah, I love her stone Now if I call her on the telephone And tell her that I'm all alone By the time I count from one to four I hear her knocking on my door And evening when the sun goes down There is nobody else around Kisses me and she holds me tight She says, Daddy, everything's alright That's why I know, yes I know Hallelujah, I love her so Time I count from one to four I hear her knocking on my door In the evening when the sun goes down When there is nobody else around She kisses me and she holds me tight She tells me, Daddy, everything's alright That's why I know, yes I know Hallelujah, I love her so Yes I know, hallelujah Hallelujah, I love her so
man well thank you very much for coming on i had a lot of fun yeah, it was a good time. oh yeah it was a good time she said <laughs> thanks dude yeah man well guys uh daniel wallace has a show it's uh, tell us about the show on uh, i'm playing with uh a band that i'm slowly forming excellent uh, with a guitarist from another old band cool uh, we don't have a name yet we are possibly going by mild mead excellent yeah well, I, I don't know we haven't we haven't decided on a name yet you need, you need something that's uh artsy and also people will remember yeah i i mostly just want the i, I want i want the deadheads to get a kick out of it yeah yeah nice cool but it's on july 31st july 31st uh at the music space in towson cool uh it's on chesapeake avenue yeah Excellent. So if you guys are in the area, please check them out. Uh, otherwise, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I had a good time. Really yeah. appreciate you coming on. Good times. Thanks, yeah, man. Totally. All right, guys. See you later, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. <laughs>